It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yay. Haven't had that as a word of the day. Yay. As in hip, hip, hooray. That yay is gone. Breaking news this morning. Adidas finally got back from vacation. I have no idea. I didn't realize ever that there would be a time when an entire company would go on vacation. Normally, you split it up. You have some executives go, then you have some stay. But apparently, the entire company was away because they hadn't paid attention to what one of their main producers, their main celebrity endorsers, their main business unit, led by the former Kanye West, then called Yeezy, now called Ye, has been on this amazingly sad, pathetic, angering, anti-Semitic tour. Adidas had been quiet. So here's what happens in the front office, in the C-suite of a big company, when you know that something bad is happening. You try to figure out whether or not it's going to pass. And you decide, it's much like a sports team, you're deciding what is your tolerance for waiting for it to pass and what is the impact on your business by either waiting it to pass or not having it pass. It's really a calculation. So the head of Adidas is going to bring in his finance group. He's going to bring in his PR group, and they're going to have a meeting. They're going to deal with the yay situation, and they're not going to comment until they're ready. And the yay situation is we have a brand. Here is the revenue from that brand. Here's the net income from that brand. Here's the earnings per share from that brand. That is a part of our stock price, which is what we deal with on Wall Street when we talk to investors, when we talk to analysts. This is what the net worth of all of the owners of Adidas have in mind. We have to protect the stock price. The calculation by Adidas was never about Ye being an anti-Semite. It was never about Ye bringing negative attention to them. It was never about them being a German company and taking the high road and trying to not be associated with the Holocaust. None of that was part of the calculation. No matter what they say, it was simple math. And Adidas came out with a statement this morning that will make you smile with anger. Yes, I said it. You will smile with anger. Adidas does not tolerate anti-Semitism and any other sort of hate speech. Horse hockey. 
Ye's recent comments and actions have been unacceptable, hateful, and dangerous. True. And they violate the company's values of diversity and inclusion, mutual respect, and fairness. Hmm. Did it take a week for you to read the manual to decide whether or not his statements violated? I'm just asking. That seems like you're not interpreting Sanskrit. If there is a code that you're in violation of when you're talking about Jewish people, eh, I think first reading should say so. But we'll keep going with their statement. After a thorough review, the company has taken the decision to terminate the partnership with Ye immediately. So now we know why it took so long. So it had nothing to do with his statements violating the company's values of diversity and inclusion. There had to be a thorough review. Ah, the thorough review of what? They don't say yet. But keep in mind, after a thorough review, we'll get back to their statement in a minute. Production of Yeezy branded products and stop all payments to Ye and his companies, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. This is expected to have a short-term negative impact of up to 250 million euros on the company's net income this year, given the high seasonality of the fourth quarter, blah, blah, blah. Adidas is the sole owner, blah, blah, blah. Here we go, ready? Last line of a statement about trying to curb anti-Semitism, about trying to do the right thing and getting rid of someone who is taking your brand right down the crapper. Final sentence. More information will be given as part of the company's upcoming Q3 earnings announcement on November 9th, 2022. Holy guacamole. The quiet part of how businesses operate once thought to be only out loud with nothing personal, is now right there for all of you to see. Make no mistake, Adidas did not get rid of Ye because they thought it was the right thing to do. They did not get rid of Ye because they are, they are not anti-Semitic. They did not get rid of Ye because they thought that he was a blight on their resume. They got rid of Ye because they made a business decision that the short-term loss from cutting ties with his business is less than the long-term loss of keeping his business and losing everyone else's business. That's the thorough review they did. You don't need a week, whether you're Adidas, whether you are Reebok, whether you're Nike, whether you're Apple, it doesn't take a week for the finance department to tell you what the revenue is for a particular brand. If I call Apple right now, I can tell you what the Apple 14 is doing, what the projections are, and what the actuals are. It'll take three minutes. They have an active spreadsheet, I assure you. The thorough review means there was a discussion between the higher-ups. The Germans sat there in, somewhere in Germany. Where was it, Coca? He taught me, and I didn't say. Herzogenrach. They sat there, and they did math. I wonder if they got any Jewish people to help them with the math. I wonder if they employ any. All I know is they did this calculation where they looked at every one of their business centers. They looked at all of their different brands. They took the pulse wondering whether the story was going to go away, and it never went away. So 
social media, mainstream media, the dark media. Is that the word for it? Is it called the dark web, Coca? Every section, every demographic did not let this story die. So they get into a room and they say, what impact will this have on Ye's sales? They calculate it. Then they start hearing from different people associated with Adidas. Maybe the Boston Marathon says, we don't want to be associated with you anymore. Maybe athletes call to our other athletes who are endorsed. Maybe they had stores carrying Adidas products who said, we're no longer going to carry your products. Maybe the number of dollars out the door were greater than the number of dollars in the door. <gasps> Is that possible? That the thorough review revealed that staying with Ye was not positive for their shareholders. Of course that's what happened. For Adidas to make you think that they all of a sudden are captains of morality, that they're all of a sudden against hate speech, angry with what Ye had said, intolerant of his intolerance. They're pulling the wool over your open eyes. Kanye Ye is going to have to respond to this because he also is doing a thorough review of his business and he is calculating what he spends to live what he needs, what he gets, where his revenue is, where his money is, and then lawyering up to figure out what he can enforce with Adidas, what he can't. There's going to be lawyers involved. This case is not going to end. Before Adidas terminated the contract, they had to deal with lawyers once they did their thorough review. They had to do it in a way, making sure that Ye violated a certain contract. And here's a question. If Ye had a morals clause in his contract, this is when you're saying he violated it? Listen, I'm all against anti-Semitism. You know where I stand. But you're first discovering that Ye may have violated a moral turpitude clause? The second thing I want to say about Ye is this. Do not misunderstand my disgust and distaste for Ye to in any way reflect my view of any potential mental illness that he may have. We've talked about mental illness on this show a lot. Whether he's bipolar, whether he has anxiety disorder, whether he has obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever he is suffering from, schizophrenia, whatever it may be. I feel about him the same way I felt about Roseanne on Ambien. I know a lot of people who take Ambien, including myself. It doesn't make me racist. Mental illness does not make you an anti-Semite. It may make you say things that you think that you don't want to say because you realize if you say them that it could hurt your business, but it does not under any scenario. And if there's a doctor out there listening to Nothing Personal, contact me. Get into my Twitter. I want to know what medicines there are, what diseases there are that would cause someone to go from tolerant to intolerant. Now, I get nice to grumpy. I get people who are nice and then angry, repetitive, mean, but 
racist and anti-Semitic? I'm not giving him that. Ye does not deserve the benefit of any of our doubts. He does not deserve one of your dollars. I was speaking to someone this morning who said, I wonder what the reseller was not Coca. I wonder whether if they stop producing his shoes, whether or not the price of the shoes will go up. Should I hold on to the shoes as a potential investment? And I thought to myself, brilliant. People really are all about business, right? I guess that's why we have an entire show. I, was, I grew up in a, in a household where we didn't buy German cars and we didn't eat Nestle's peanut butter. Not sure it made a difference either way. All of that said, everyone makes his or her or their own decision. And you do too. It's a great talking point for you with your family or for you at work is what line are you willing to draw and why and when. Just give it thought as we head into elections, as we head into year after year where there's story after story of more people who are less tolerant. Just ask yourself, where do you stand? When do you draw a line? Because you're willing to criticize like I am Adidas. But am I throwing away my Adidas stuff yesterday, the day before? No, I did not. I've had a day to reflect on a couple of things. I was, I've been reflecting on, on baseball. I meant baseball. I always reflect on everything personally and professionally. I'm a big reflector. I don't know if you do that. I guess if you spend enough time in the bathroom, as I do, you get a lot of time to reflect. Although I just saw a great TikTok that you're not supposed to read on the toilet. It's bad for your colon. It's bad for your tushy. But I, I spend a lot of time thinking. That's where I think because I'm not currently training for anything, so I'm not running right now. So I think a lot depending on how much pizza I've had and, and Chinese and Japanese food. So I was reflecting a lot yesterday on the World Series and on the LCS. And I was doing what we do after every show. We had talked about yesterday's show, and Coca said, by the way, you forgot the following 10 things that we really wanted to get to. And I reflected all day yesterday, and I was wondering why I forgot them and where my train of thought was during yesterday's show. And I wanted to get to a few things today. Number one, we got to talk a little bit about the Padres. The Padres, the team that all of you accuse me of having a personal vendetta against. And I've made it clear that I am against A.J. Preller, not Peter Seidler, not Ron Fowler, not the people of San Diego, not the weather in San Diego, not the great ballpark in San Diego. Simply, the guy who runs their baseball operations is someone I don't want to do business with again ever, nor, should, nor does anyone in baseball, quite frankly. But when you only have 30 people to deal with, you have no choice but to do business with everyone, regardless of personal or professional feelings. You have to give A.J. Preller credit for putting a roster together that is ready to win now. Trading for Juan Soto and then losing Fernando Tatis, and that was the order. May I remind you that A.J. Preller had no idea that Fernando Tatis was going to be suspended for 80 games for steroids when he traded for Juan Soto. Putting Fernando Tatis in that lineup at shortstop makes the Padres even more dangerous than they were during the season and this postseason. They would not have caught the Dodgers. They still would have been in the position they were in the wild card. However, they would have been a better team, obviously. The concept of going all in is something that fan bases love. The problem with going all in is that if it doesn't work and you're satisfied only with a ring, 
then going all in is a failure if it's ring or bust. Teams who make the World Series and then lose are forgotten. Teams that make the playoffs and lose are forgotten. All you get is a list. Playoff appearances. 2003, 2020, 1997, as an example. Penance, 1997, 2003. By the way, today's the 19-year anniversary of Josh Beckett's Game 6. Yesterday was the 19-year anniversary of the biggest fight I ever had with Jack McKeon. There's no way you're starting Josh Beckett, right? He said, we're starting Josh Beckett. I said, no, please do not start him. We need him for Game 7. That'll be regular rest. And he said, no way. That was the origination of No Chance Toilet Pants, and that is when I almost lost my nickname, Sparky. He was so angry with me. We had a fight on the plane. It was waiting to get on the plane, and it went onto the plane. His wife got involved. Larry Beinfest and Michael Hill got involved, trying to get us to stay quieter. There were players around, and it was it was a big one. That was the second fight of our postseason, by the way. And uh, Jack won. It's funny. In 2022, Jack doesn't win that fight because the managers are told exactly who to pitch, period, and who to play and when to play him. Jack would obviously not want to hear any of that in 03. As involved as we were, as meddlesome as we were, it's nothing like the meddlesome front offices now. Not even close. Literally not even close. Anyway, to all the Marlins fans out there and to all the players who were involved, to all the players who got the A-rings, to everyone except Jeff Torborg and Toby Borland, congratulations. 19 years. Amazing. Okay. So the Padres go all in and lose, but I still give A.J. Preller the credit for it. But the question is, is it sustainable? When you try to pretend you're the Dodgers and you're not, you can't keep up with them. Have you ever done this where you're trying to keep up with somebody and they buy a Chanel bag, so you buy a Chanel bag, or they have a nice car, so you buy a nice car, but they buy it, but you have to lease it, and then all of a sudden you can't afford the lease payments, and then all of a sudden they want to go on vacation, and you say, okay, I'll go on vacation, and then you're having these contests of who can spend more money. It's called keeping up with the Joneses. I'm not sure why it's named the Joneses, actually. Is that still an expression, Coca? Keeping up with the Joneses? That may be a boomer expression. But the fact is... The concept of that is you can't. There's always going to be someone richer than you. There's always going to be someone poorer than you. There's always going to be someone happier than you. There's always going to be someone less happy than you. That's just how life is. There's someone better looking than you. There's someone worse looking than you. There's someone more fortunate, someone less fortunate. Keeping up with the Joneses is a bad plan. If that's your plan, you may want to revisit it. That's the second thing I've asked you to do as part of this show. I've asked you to think about where you stand in terms of how serious you are about brands, and I've asked you now to think about whether you keep up with the Joneses. The Padres keeping up with the Joneses will not result in sustained winning. It's going to result in financial difficulties that will result in operating the way all teams operate in baseball other than the Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers. So we'll see what happens with the Padres, but I want to make sure you're aware that I gave them credit, do give them credit for the season they had. The second thing is that what's going on with Houston, I I want to make sure that you're thinking about before this World Series starts. Jim Crane is an interesting owner. He's the owner of the Astros. He's the owner who we spent a lot of time on nothing personal talking about the garbage can scandal. 
He was the author of that horrific press conference when they brought out in spring training. Were we doing NPDS back then? I don't remember. But when they brought out uh, Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve to talk to the media and Jim Crane at their spring training, and it was just horrific. Jim Crane in owners' meetings is, um, he is middle of the road. Not the most popular, not the least popular. The ad, the Astros, though, are not popular with many of the teams like the Yankees, etc., because those teams blame the Astros for them not having World Series rings. Jim Crane has been spending time since this punishment, since he had to fire A.J. Hinch, which he didn't want to do, since he had to get rid of Jeff Luna, which he didn't want to do, since he had to hire Dusty Baker, which he didn't want to do, since he had to bring in James Click, which he didn't want to do. He has been trying to win another World Series desperately. And I give his organization credit for the sustained greatness they've had. This is their fourth World Series in six years, starting in 2017. I told you it's the best tank job of all time. But Jim Crane wants to win this World Series more than Dusty Baker, who's never won one as a manager, more than John Middleton, who is the owner of the Phillies, who's done nothing but spend and try to put himself in the position to win a World Series. Jim Crane wants it more. Now, there's degrees of more. Everybody wants it. But he thinks that winning in 2022 will erase 2017. He thinks that if... The players have rings from 22, they'll wear those because he's heard about players who are embarrassed and upset to wear their rings from 17. I can only tell you that if I ever heard of a player who didn't want to wear an 03 ring, some don't wear it because it's so big, but if I ever heard of a player who was upset about the way we won or the reason we won, it would be devastating to me. I want the players to have their rings and wear them proudly. Jim Crane is in that position right now. And if the Astros win in 22, it will be fascinating to watch how quickly 17 gets erased. But the problem is you need to mention the 17 championship because having two World Series titles in six years, that's what makes you a dynasty. So on one hand, you have to acknowledge it. On the other hand, you want to ignore it. Can't wait to see what they do. They're going to do something. Can you believe that, yay? I was just thinking about this. So while I do nothing personal, I can talk about a topic. I'm thinking about a topic. I got coke in my ear talking about a topic. Can you believe that, yay? What kind of person would say that I can say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me? And you know what's funny about that? Up until today, it was totally true. Hmm. I guess Ye forgot to do the full throw review of that statement. You know, when your team gets to the World Series, I remember when we clinched in Chicago. We're jumping for joy. We don't know if we're going to fly to New York or Boston. We're sitting in the hotel watching Game 7, waiting to figure it out. That's the first fight I had with Jack. Jack wanted to get to the airport, and I'm like, Jack, we have nowhere to fly. He's like, I don't care, Sparky. We said we were leaving. We're leaving. I'm, I'm leaving for the airport. Jack, there's no flight plan. The game is going on right now. Let's stay in the hotel. We, can, we have a room for all the players because we had to check out because we didn't want to pay for another night. Yeah. And so the players had a lounge room, like a, a big ballroom where they were laying down and we put snacks in there. Of course, I kept my room and I was in bed with, uh, we were all in a big room watching 
the Red Sox and the Yankees where, ironically, Aaron Boone hit the home run. But Jack McKeon called up and said he's leaving. And I said, Jack, we're not leaving. There's nowhere to go. And Jack lost his mind. So I had to get dressed. I had to go downstairs to where Jack was. And and we had words. And uh, eventually, we just got on the bus because I couldn't stand fighting with him, not realizing what fight would happen two weeks later. And uh, we got on the bus. And the bus, we couldn't load the plane because there was no flight plan and nowhere for the plane to go. So as the bus pulls into the Chicago airport, we were flying out of Midway, uh, not O'Hare. So the bus goes to Midway, and it's right at the gate to the FBO, the fixed base operation where the charter plane was. And we're all paying attention to the game, and Boone hits the home run. And the bus, we board the bus and fly to New York. And Jack said, I told you, Sparky. I mean, it was ridiculous. The game could have gone 15 innings, not 11. But celebrating a World, a, a World Series victory or celebrating a pennant, are two totally different things. When you celebrate a World Series victory, you can do it with reckless abandon. You can be up all night. You can party until your liver and arms fall out and off. I'm totally fine. Do anything with anyone four times if you like. Winning the pennant is awfully exciting. I happen to love winning the pennant more than winning the World Series, believe it or not, because of how beating the Cubs 3-1, to one, having lost... Have, losing three to one and winning three straight games, just the surreal part of going to the World Series about knowing that your coaching staff is coaching in the All Star game the next year, just all the cool stuff about going to the World Series, just amazing. But the celebration is muted only because you've got four more games to win. Because at the end of the day, if you're trying to make history and you're trying to carve your place in baseball history, you've got to have a ring. That is how you're associated forever. You are a world champion. I am a World Series winning executive. If we don't win the World Series, they're not going to say, he won the pennant one year. No. What they would say is 18-year major league executive. Not bad. 18-year World Series winning executive. Way better. Players. 17-year career. 2,500 hits. Outstanding. 17-year career world champion with 2,500 hits. It just makes a difference. No one says pennant winner. No one says division winner. Six-time division winner, John Cocktoston. No, no one does that. Winning the last four, it matters. When I saw the video last night of Kyle Schwarber riding a bull and getting thrown off a bull celebrating the pennant, I lost my mind. Kyle Schwarber... The leadoff hitter for the Phillies. Critical for him to play well against the Astros. He goes on a mechanical bull the night they win. And there's video of this. Go check it out. While you're on video, YouTube, go to Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Hit subscribe. We still have to get to 10,000. I don't know. There's so many more than that listening. So everyone listening, please just go to YouTube and hit subscribe. Because if you all do that, I don't know why you don't. It really doesn't take that long. If you all do that, then you're all going to be eligible for some sort of cool piece of memorabilia. But for everyone who's listening today, if a tiny fraction of you just hit subscribe, we'll finally be over 10,000. So the video is Kyle Schwarby's riding it, and it's going slowly. And I'm thinking, this is sort of fun. I'm a little worried about the groin. Because when you ride a bull, it's like riding a horse, obviously. You can get soreness in your groin area. And then it goes a little faster. I'm thinking, wow, he's going to get off this soon, right? The video keeps going. The bull starts going faster. And then he falls off the way you fall off a bull. 
if I am the president of the Phillies, guess what I'm doing today? Nothing. I'm not calling Kyle Schwarber into the office. I am not yelling at his agent. I'm not doing anything right now. We are in the middle of preparing to start the World Series on Friday. Today is likely our travel day as we head to Houston. Today is whatever day is today. Oh, Tuesday. By the way, today's Tuesday the 25th. Was nine years ago, 19 years ago, Coca, I think we clinched on Tuesday the 25th. Was that possible, Coca? I think we can Google that and find out. Anyway, they're traveling today. I am not getting angry with Kyle Schwarber, but I am discussing it with Dave Dombrowski. I'm discussing it with Rob Thompson, the manager, just as we're sitting around, as we're thinking about the rosters, we're putting the roster together, as we're working on our pitching plan. I'm just going to mention, hey, can we try not to sign and have any more stupid players, please? Why? What? What goes through an athlete's head? I think what goes through the head is that they're so good at what they do that they assume they're going to be so good at everything else, so they try certain things, and then they realize, wow, I can't hit a golf ball. Or, wow, I can't ride a bull. Or, wow, I can't drive a NASCAR. Why does it take actually doing those things to realize that you can't? Don't get me wrong. I like the idea of celebrating. I just don't like the idea of making it to the World Series. I need to win the World Series. Kyle Schwarber will be ready to play. He didn't get hurt, but God, did I hate to see that. All right, we come back. We're going to review a series I watched. Oh, by the way, it's called The Watcher. And I want to explain to you what happened after the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost. And this does not involve Tom Brady or Giselle or Bridget, but it's something that will shock you. We will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, making through the gauntlet of commercials, going on YouTube. Everything you do matters because everybody wants to rule the world. I watched a seven-part show with Naomi Watts called The Watcher. It stars also Bobby Cannavale. It is a based on a true story. It's a Ryan Murphy vehicle. Ryan Murphy did Dahmer, so I am Ryan Murphyed out. I've now gone from Dahmer to The Watcher. So The Watcher is not about a serial killer. The Watcher is about a house in Jersey that may or may not be haunted and may or may not be the subject of a stalker. 
The watcher refers to someone who is writing letters to owners of a house saying, I'm watching you, and all of the crazy stuff that went on in that house. The problem is they say based on a true story, the reality is the entire seven-part episode is full of things that aren't true. Emmy Award-winning star of The White Lotus is also in it. Stifler's, Stifler's mom from American Pie, whose name is escaping me at the moment, which is crazy because she's on such a hot streak right now. Coming back to White Lotus, which debuts again, written and directed by Mike White, the Survivor Emmy winner. What is her name, Coca? Come on. God dang it, dog it. I love her. Jennifer Coolidge. Thank you. That was not on the tip of my tongue. So The Watcher goes through these seven episodes, and it plays the music that makes you want to be scared. But it's not like a Halloween. It's not anyone there with a knife or a gun, and they're jumping out of like a Geico ad. It, it's, it's just sort of suspenseful music for the case of being suspenseful. The story is so scarily ridiculous that you don't want to think it can be true. Because you don't want to think that somebody's watching you. All of these voyeur movies, we reviewed a Sydney Sweeney movie about voyeurs. The, the, it's a uh, the rear window type of movie. I don't necessarily love watching movies like that. The voyeur is what it was called. And the reason I don't love watching movies like that is I don't want to think about that when I'm home or in an apartment or in a hotel room. Just like I always convince myself when I'm in a hotel room that I'm the first person to have ever stayed in the hotel room. And if there's ever any evidence to the contrary, I'm going to switch hotels or switch rooms. I like being the first person in every room I'm in. That's just how I get through the day. In The Watcher, I had a hard time getting through the series. It was overdone by Ryan Murphy, and it was done in a way that was meant to captivate you, and instead it sort of repulsed me. So I'm going to save you the time here on The Watcher and tell you that uh, pass, hard pass, nah, a medium pass on The Watcher. All right, nothing personal, pick of the day. Did I really think the Jazz wouldn't go to 4-0? The Jazz lost to the Rockets. Rockets got their first victory. We're 122 and 99. We're still at a 55% winning clip. We're still winning money. If your units are a dollar or a hundred dollars, we're still up four to one. 122 and 99. Zion Williamson is back. Zion Williamson, the number one pick, the player who we've talked about on this show as having the great talent, but someone who I would not have picked number one if I were the Pelicans, even though they had that huge celebration, as you recall. I would have taken John Morant in hindsight, of course. So Zion Williamson is back playing, and everyone's excited. The Pelicans have McCollum and Ingram, and everything's great. Well, guess what? Zion's hurt again. They're calling it a hip contusion, and Coke and I were talking before the show. I don't really know what a hip contusion is. Is that like when you get hit in the hip and there's a bruise? Or are they just calling it that? Is he day-to-day? I don't know. I just know that there's a line in a game right now for the Mavs and the Pelicans. And I've been on the Mavs for years because I still think Luka is the best player in basketball. I'm going to say he is. And I'm going to say that it is time for them and Luka to win. So I am taking the Mavs as part of their season-long quest to do better. And it's really a Luka play over Zion. Mavs over the Pelicans. So... In baseball, we have a system. It's a very interesting system about memorabilia. 
in basketball, you remember when Dwayne Wade was retiring, he did a jersey exchange with players on the on the court after every game, and it became this huge magilla over who was he going to choose, who was he going to have as his jersey exchange guy. That's very public. In baseball, everything happens in the clubhouse. When you when you get to the clubhouse every day, there's a middle table in every clubhouse. Sometimes it's a side room, but generally it's in the middle of the clubhouse. And on that clubhouse are boxes of balls and then a sign that will say team ball or boxes of balls with a player name on it or jerseys, and then you know if it's your jersey, and it will be whether a player signs it or a team jersey for the whole team to sign it. We do a signing in spring training, as all teams do, and those are balls that we give to customer service. Those are balls that we give to ticketing, to marketing, as part of promotions, as part of making good when people are upset with cold hot dogs. For charity, every time a charity contacts us, we'll donate a signed ball or something else. So it's a big signing during spring training. And then during the season, there are other things that get signed according to things that happen. If there's a no-hitter, then the player will be asked to sign the tickets and the bases and the uniforms and balls. If there's special balls that are used at some point, there is a relationship that you have with your players from front office to players where they sign things for you. Players also like getting things signed by other players. And the way that works is your player will speak to your clubhouse manager and say, hey, I'd like to get a trout jersey. Our clubhouse manager goes to the visiting clubhouse manager and says, hey, our player would like a trout jersey. The visiting clubhouse manager goes to Mike Trout and says, hey, Mike, this player would like a jersey. 99 out of 100 times, the player who's asked to sign a uniform or a ball for another player on the other team will sign the uniform, sign the ball, give it back to the visiting clubhouse manager who has someone walk it over to the home clubhouse, give it to the home clubhouse manager who then gives it to the player. This happens every game. Every once in a while, you have a player who responds with, you know who you are, Barry. You have a player who responds, hey, I'm happy to sign something, but have the player ask me himself. Then we have to go back to the player and say, Barry won't sign it unless you go ask him yourself. And the player will generally say, oh, whatever, I'm not going to, or no problem, I'm happy to do that. So there's a system that happens, and it's a system that works. It's been going on for years. Players like getting jerseys signed by teammates, by other players in the league, balls, etc. Totally normal. There's another procedure for umpires. Umpires also like getting signed jerseys and signed balls. There's a very simple rule. Umpires have their own clubhouse. They also have their own clubhouse manager. For most teams, the person who runs the umpire room is also the person who runs the visiting clubhouse. Sometimes it's one of the people who helps run the home clubhouse, but it's always an employee of the team, the home team. In the umpire's clubhouse, you've got oversized lockers like catcher's lockers because there's a home plate umpire always and they all carry their equipment and they have a lot of equipment. There's a little place for them to eat. There's showers. There's toilets. It's a little auxiliary clubhouse. We call it the umpire's room. 
When umpires want something signed, the umpires say to the clubhouse manager, hey, we'd like to get something signed. The clubhouse manager will talk to the player. And 99 out of 100 times, the player says no problem. If the player has a problem with the umpire, the umpire will generally not ask that player for something to be signed. If there's something that's gone on during the course of a game, the umpire will not ask for that signature at that point. But they're in several times a year or the umpires are calling an entire series because they travel by series. So there's always time. But there is one rule that is never broken. You do not ask a player directly for an autograph, ever. Umpires who ump, who are the home plate umpire of a no-hitter always want signed balls and tickets from the pitcher who pitched the no-hitter. Always, and they always get it. But they don't do it on the field. The NFL has a problem on its hand. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady lost to the Carolina Panthers and not Christian McCaffrey 21-3 on Sunday. Video has surfaced yesterday of two referees going up to Mike Evans, their star receiver of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, in the tunnel, whipping out a pen and paper and asking Mike Evans for an autograph as they are leaving the field. The equivalent would be of an NBA referee asking for LeBron's autograph as they're walking into the tunnel on the court. The equivalent would be of an umpire saying to a pitcher in between innings, could you sign my mask? It's unconscionable. Not referees getting autographs. Totally reasonable. Memorabilia, fine. But in public? Are you kidding? Wait to see when I tell you something's going to happen. If it happens, we'll revisit it. If it doesn't happen, we'll revisit it. The referees in question from this video. There will be an investigation internally. It will not take as long as the Deshaun Watson investigation. I assure you. But the referees in question will be suspended. It may just be a week that they don't get a game, but they will be suspended. You cannot have the appearance of impropriety or impartiality. Roger Goodell has to step up and do it the way that Rob would, the way that Adam would, the way that Gary would. Every commissioner, we are trying in this era of gambling to protect the integrity of the game. Shh. The quiet part is that autographs happen. You cannot let the quiet part out loud and have fans or gamblers see that referees are genuflecting in players' general directions. What if Mike Evans said no? Think he's going to get any calls? NFL is in full swing. I feel like the season just started. It's already been seven weeks of the season. Teams are already trying to figure out what they are, what they're not. I've told you where I think the Packers and Bucks are. And it starts with an F and ends with a D. (laughs) Oh, get your mind out of the gutter. I'm thinking finished. This is when owners are getting together and getting impatient. This is when owners call up their executives and say, hey, you know, we're deep into the season right now. This is almost the halfway point, right? Seven of 17. So it's equivalent of like being 60 or 70 games in. You're getting through May. There's managerial changes that happen in May. This is when you start wondering about coaches. 
you wonder about the play of quarterbacks. And if you're Jim Ursay, you're calling up your executives. You're going to see your coach, Frank Reich, the former backup quarterback for the Buffalo Bills under Jim Kelly. And you're saying, hey, Frank, I think we may have overpaid for Matt Ryan. And I don't mean in just picks. I mean in actually money. He's got a shoulder problem. He's going to miss a week. I have an idea here. I really do. Have you heard of our backup quarterback? He's decent. He's decent. His name is Sam Ellinger. Um, I think we should play him. And Jim Ursay says this to Frank and to the GM, and the discussion ensues. How do you think that discussion goes? Frank Reich had to give a talk because they are benching Matt Ryan. He's done. Not just because he's hurt this week. They're not playing him the rest of the year. Indianapolis already announced it. Why? What is the purpose of that announcement? When you've got an ineffective starter who's hurt and you know you've got to play your backup, play your backup. If your backup plays great, just say, hey, Wally Pip anyone? And if your backup plays stinky and you want your overpaid quarterback to be back in there once he's healthy again, then bring him back in. But why would the Colts make an announcement right now that they are benching Ryan for the rest of the year and playing Sam Ellinger? What's the purpose? It can only be that the owner demanded it. It can only be that Jim Ursay said, this is what we're doing, and we are doing it the entire year. If you are running that team, you've got to convince your owner to take a breath. Let's get Matt Ryan back healthy, and then let's see what Sam does. What if Sam stinks? Frank Reich had to go through an entire, the coach had to go through a whole media session saying it's an extremely difficult decision given the respect and admiration that we have for Matt Ryan, given what he's brought here. I'm not sure what he's brought here. He's a pro's pro. The guy's special. These are fine comments, but not for today. We all know at the quarterback position that our poor production on offense is not on one person. It's not on Matt Ryan. Okay. Then why are you not playing him for the rest of the year? We also know as head coach and quarterback, it doesn't matter. I'm judged on wins and losses, and quarterbacks are judged on points and turnovers. Really? Okay. I agree the Colts are 29th in scoring out of 32 teams. That's not very good, averaging 16.1 points. I agree there's been three games where the Colts haven't even scored 12 points or 12 or fewer. That's fine. But the main point remains timing. If you are going to be a successful organization, you've got to think about the timing in which you make your personal decisions. Some of us wait too long. Some of us are way too fast. But the porridge that's just right is the porridge that is eaten by winning teams. When you switch quarterbacks the way we switched managers, you're probably not going to have sustained winning. I think Ellinger is going to be the seventh starting quarterback under Frank Reich. And he's only been there since 18. Seven starting quarterbacks in four years. Frank Reich actually said, Matt Ryan's our guy. We're good. Then he gets hurt, and then he does this sort of announcement. And then tries to make it as though Jim Ursay is not the one dictating this change. He admitted that Jim Ursay was involved. He admitted that owners have a large say. But he had to back this decision because that's what coaches do. When owners are meddling and involved and tell you to do something and you don't like it and you're the team president or the coach, you stand up and you move forward and you own it because you work for that person. Frank works for Jim. 
period. I guess there aren't enough people around Jim who are helping him. Because if they were, there's no way that that sort of permanent statement would have been made yesterday. It's simple. Only talk to the media about something when you have to. Only make decisions when you need to. It's just business. This is nothing personal. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.